Well, God bless you. Find the book of Romans, please. Thank you, Pastor Dwayne. The book of Romans. When you find the book of Romans, find chapter 3, please. Hey, before you cats rush out, church, can we thank these guys for the sacrifice service and for the amazing job they do? Thank you, Jackson. Thank you. Rye, Rye, thanks. Love you, buddy. Romans chapter 3. You know what? I'll tell you. I can leave right this minute and say it's been good to be in God's house. Amen. And if I didn't think I had something the Lord wanted me to say, we'd have done that. But see, I get paid per word. No, I'm just playing. You know I'm kidding. Romans chapter. Some of, you, some of y'all that are guests, you're like, is that how you do it in church? Maybe. I don't know. We just don't know anything like people do it in church, so I don't even know. I did not understand. I, I did not realize, I should say. I did not realize that uh, John was taking the, the teens out today. <clears throat> I, I, I try to keep up with, you know, when they're up here, when they're down there. And... Which I'm, I'm glad they're down there. That's great. What a great group of young adults, right? Holy cow. Um, but now that they're out, I want us to have a grown-up conversation. And, and I know you're getting nervous right about now. Let me rephrase that. I want us to have as a grown-up a conversation as I can possibly have. So that ought to make all y'all feel better. Um, I just want to, I just want to talk just real and compassionate, sensitive as I can on this subject. We've all been in messes. It's okay you didn't name in that because I'm going to say it again and give you the chance to come into agreement with me in the reality that we've all been in messes. (laughs) And now I got the real folks just showed up. That's awesome. Thank you for coming. We've been in financial messes. Amen. We've been in health messes. Sometimes our fault, sometimes not our fault. We've been in wardrobe messes. (laughs) I I said that because last week, Pastor Dwayne talked about his fashion statements. And that was a plain dig on me for obvious reasons. We've been in family messes. Now, you were smart not to amen that as hard as you amen the others. We've been in relational messes. Some of you married a mess. See, now you're just saying stuff, and I don't have a free evening at all this week to meet with you, so... Now, here's the thing about being married to a mess. You were warned about it. Your friends tried to tell you, but here we are, middle of a mess. Some of you married into a mess. I wanted to make sure none of my uh, in-laws were saying amen on it. Some of you married into a mess. You wondered why she wouldn't let you meet her family. Now you know, because it is a mess. Some of you are being parented by a couple of messes. 
And since the kids are downstairs, some of you are parenting some real messes. <laughs> the one with the most kids said, whew. You know what? But I want to be fair and I, I, want to, I want to make sure I connect with everyone. So you might be here and you're not in a mess right now. You're not in a mess right now, so you know you're extremely blessed at this moment because you're not in a mess. But here's what you know. Six months ago, you were wrapping up a mess. And because you were wrapping up the mess, you know that any of us are one decision away from being in a mess. It could be our mess that we made. It could be a mess that someone else made. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and this is what I, I need to tell you. If you're not in a mess right now, there's another mess coming, and here's why. Look at it behind me. Life is messy. Can you say that with me? Life is messy. If you're doing life at all, you know life is messy. If you've lived as long as I have, you know life is messy. You could try to hit on all cylinders and hit your mark left and right, but you'll know that even at the best you can do, life is messy. And it, it's messy for Christians. It's messy for non-Christians. It's messy for those who are practicing other religions. It's messy for those who have no religious affiliation. It's messy. It's messy. Sometimes we create messes. Sometimes we inherit messes. Other times, we are just in the line of fire for somebody else's stupid mess. Amen. But we get shrapnel from someone else's mess. Please know, it doesn't change a thing. Life is still messy. But I don't want to just tell you the obvious, and I don't want to just lead with nothing but bad news. I think what I'm going to say next is good news, well, kind of. Life is messy, but it's not just you. Now, this is an incredible biblical principle that if we would grasp it, it'll help us navigate other people's messes. And if we would understand this to its fullest, we would also have to realize it'll help us navigate our messes. Because the person you're in a mess with, well, they're a mess. And if you've been paying attention at all, I've said mess a lot. Because I want you, I want you to understand, not that you need reminded that life is messy, but I really want you to hang on that, that it's not just you. Your mess may seem a little worse than someone else's mess. Can I say I understand that? I want to validate that. Your mess might be a little hard to stomach sometimes. But the fact is, one person's major mess is another person's minor mess. That's just one decision away from being a major mess. So what I'd want us to understand and why I really want that statement to stick with us but when we get to dive into the scripture here is, is because, because one mess might not be as bad as another and yours might not be as bad as someone else's. The reality is this, that we're all, we're all, we're all, we're all 
We're all capable of making a mess. And we're all prone to be in one. Therefore, so because of everything I've said so far, when you see someone in their mess, I know it's easy to judge. And I want to explain in a minute why it's easy to judge. But when you see someone in their mess, whether they're struggling in their mess to get out of it, or if they're pretending like the mess really isn't there, but everybody they know, they can see the mess, they're just trying to avoid it. Can I also say I understand that too? Because sometimes just admitting there's a mess makes you feel like a failure. I'll talk, so there was an honest group here a minute ago. Sometimes admitting that there's a mess makes you feel like you failed. When in reality, life is messy. Uh, let, me, let me state the obvious just so that you know that I'm not being condescending to you. My life is messy. Jesus Christ's life was messy. So it's not just you. And when we see someone when, that's heading for a mess in the middle of a mess, maybe they're rolling around in their mess, and their mess is their identity. You know, there's folks in the New Testament, well, in the Old Testament as well, that we only know them, and we only know they're in the Bible because of their mess. We don't know their name. We don't know their parents. We don't know where they're from. All we know is, man, they're a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. I want to suggest to you today that before you give advice to someone in a mess, before you give your godly counsel to someone in a mess, before you silently judge someone that's in a mess, remember, you're a mess. And I believe when we see someone whose life is a mess, we should be students and not critics. We should be students of their mess. Are you with me so far? Because isn't it true when you hear the story behind someone's mess, you feel differently about them? Come on now. It's easy to stand at a distance and you see someone in their mess and you're like, wow, that's a mess. But then when you hear the story of their mess, it changes how you lean into that because you're like, okay, I didn't know all those details about your mess. But now that I hear about your mess and how you got in your mess, I agree it is very messy, but you know what? I feel differently about your mess because I feel differently about you. So when we see someone in a mess, whether they live in your house, they work at your place of work, whether they live on your block, I suggest we need to be students and not critics. So we can learn something from the mess. I know it's easier to be critics. But we need to be students. One of the reasons perhaps that maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching this online or maybe you know someone like this, maybe the reason you have shut down trying to even want to attend a local church. Maybe, you're, maybe you just shut down that whole desire. Or maybe you've shut down your faith altogether. Maybe that's happened to you at perhaps some point in your journey. You got in a mess. And the individuals that you went to for help were critics and not students of your mess.
I don't know if that's your story, but boy, I sure know a lot of people that that there is, is their story. And the people that you were doing life with because you needed help and you realized that I can't get out of this mess by myself and I need some assistance, I need some help. You, you were faced with a critic. And you thought to yourself, if that's what being a Christian is, please know I don't want it. I want to be able to help people that are in their mess. Can I say something to you that feel that way? I don't care at what degree or at what level. The church has earned that accusation. We've earned it. That's not a flippant, loose accusation. And my church experience has been true. So I, I don't think it would be right for me to move forward if I didn't validate that you feel that way and that that's a reality for you. And I want to sincerely apologize for my peers, for pastors, for church leaders, for mentors, for Christians that were way better critics than they were students. I'm sorry. I know I can't change it and you ain't asking me to, but I recognize it. And I know you're a mess. And now you know so am I. But as we navigate through this thought together and look at the words of Jesus, we're going to see just how important it is that we're students, not just in our own lives, but even those who are in messes, because we're all, I've said it, I'll say it again, we're one dumb decision away from being in the biggest mess we can imagine, and we just stand as, as, as the world's burning down around us, and we're like, what, how did I get here? It's why Jesus said what he said. I know you're in Romans 3, but in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this. He said, why do you look, why do you worry about a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? He just said it so much better than I could have. What Jesus is trying to say here, and I know this doesn't need unpacked because we all get it, but can I tell you that we don't all practice it? Let me ask you again. We all get it, but do we all practice it? Because it's so easy for us to see the speck in someone else's eye while meanwhile we can't even see hardly anything because we've got a two before hanging out our face. That's just how I see it in my head. What Jesus is trying to tell us is before you get ready to spew advice, He's trying to tell us before we get ready to look down on someone, before we get ready to judge someone else's mess, go look in the mirror because what's going to look back at you is you looking at your mess. And it's so important. It's so important because sometimes we make a mess we can't get out of by ourselves and we need each other. Amen. We need each other. And if you've ever been in a mess and you've had someone reach down to you in your mess and come into your mess and pull you out of your mess with you, you know how important this is. And you're so thankful that they didn't just critique your mess, but they were willing to get messy themselves while they helped you in your mess. If you're thankful for that, say amen. amen. Can I encourage you, if that person is alive still today, somehow get a message to them and say, thank you. Because we all have those folks that helped us. And here's why this is so important. And this is where I want to turn a corner. My mess 
your mess, everyone's mess, the person at the end of your row's mess, your ex's mess, it's why Jesus came. It's why Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came to this earth because we're a mess. See, God didn't weigh out our mess. God did not place messes on a balance and say, okay, guys, gather around because we're going to weigh out people's mess, and whoever has the worst mess, I'm going to go and I'm going to rescue them. If, if someone's mess is worse than the next person's mess, I want to redeem them. I want to give them a new life. I want to give them life and give it more abundantly. You guys with me? We're with you. It's not what he did. No, he looked at everybody's mess, and it's on equal playing field. Jesus didn't die more for one group than he did another. This is, this is, he, he, didn't, he, he didn't die more for the person with a boatload of sin than he did the church kid. That we need to understand that. It makes, it makes swallowing this pill a little easier when we really believe that. Amen. See, he doesn't do that. He, he responded to all of our mess. For God so loved. Oh, may I paraphrase? For God so loved this messy world. And he loved this messy world and he loved you and me so much that he gave his one and only son. God looked at humanity and he saw the mess we're in. He didn't turn his head to it. He didn't close his eyes to it. He didn't overlook it. He didn't scoff at it. He didn't say, well, that's just how they are. That's not how Jesus worked. See, God looked at humanity and saw we're a mess and he decided, you know what, I'm not going to flood it this time. He looked at the mess and he said, you know what? I'm not going to burn it yet. He said, instead, I'm going to redeem them. And he saw the capacity of mess and he saw the weight of the mess. He saw the damage of the mess. And he came. Pastor Dwayne's message last week it just stuck with me so strongly all week. This, this, this principle, we have been bought with a price. Now, you might feel that because of your mess that you're not worthy of much price. Can I tell you, you were the treasure of heaven because God bankrupted heaven and sent his son for you. Because he loves you. So when Jesus came the first time, it was a surprise. It was a surprise to people because when they expected someone to come and when they expected someone to help them, and many cultures still operate under this paradigm today, when people would come to help first, they thought they would have to first be judged. They, they, thought, they, they, they first thought, well, there's got to be some punishment involved here, and then, and then I'll turn a corner, and, and maybe I'll get some help down the line. It's, it's, we see it all over in the story of Joseph of the Old Testament. He didn't hammer his family that sold him into slavery. No, he showed mercy, he showed grace. And Jesus 
It was a surprise to folks. They expected the worst, but they expected criticism, but that ain't what they received. When Jesus showed up, he introduced a word to that culture, and it's a word that we need to embrace today, and the word was amazing. It was amazing then. It's amazing today. It'll be amazing for all eternity, and that word is grace. Grace. See, 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 Sometimes the level of your mess determines the level of the grace you feel and receive. It doesn't mean that God just pours more out on you. You're no better to him the worse you are. I'm not saying that at all. Oh, we shouldn't just sin more and more so that more grace abounds. Paul said, may it never be. I know that's sometimes the mindset we get into because it makes us feel more spiritual, but that's not how grace works. See, few expected grace when Jesus came, so many missed it. I'll say it again, few expected grace, so many missed it. So many people in church today, they don't expect grace, they expect criticism. So then when Jesus offers grace, they miss it. Are you still tracking with me? This means that the gospel is for you because, well, I think I've said it once or twice, you're a mess. And this is beautiful because regardless of the area that is messy in your life, the gospel is for you. Jesus is for you. Not when you come out of your mess right now in the middle of your mess, regardless of how deep it is, regardless of how messy it is, regardless of how bad it stinks, regardless of anything, Jesus Christ is full of grace for you in your mess because life is messy, but it's not just you. He's coming to you and he's offering you grace. And he's asking us to do the same. But this is something that just resonated with me all week. I couldn't shake it. He's not offering you or me grace in spite of your mess. He's not offering you or me grace because he feels sorry for you in your mess. Our mess doesn't move God. If that was the case, whoever had the most mess would have more attention from God. But no, he offers grace. Not because he felt sorry for you, but because of your mess. It's why he had to come. He's drawing near to you because of the mess that we've made our life. You're like, can you be any more depressing? Probably. But here's what I want us to spend the rest of our time thinking about today. I want you to think about this grace. I want you to think about your mess. I don't want you to dwell on it, but we got to identify it, amen. I'm just going to encourage you to look at your mess. And the reason I want you to look at your mess and look at your junk, look at the mess of this world, we're going to, we're going to look at it, but, but I believe it can be a lens. I believe that the messes that we're in can be a lens. You say, Jeff, what am I supposed to see in my mess? Well, if you can see your mess for what it is, if you can see what it is you're upside down in, if you can see, again, your fault, nobody's fault, everybody's fault, regardless, that's not the discussion. 
We spend our life trying to see who we can blame for our mess. No. Can, can I tell you, it doesn't matter. And I'm not being insensitive. I know it sounds it. But it doesn't, what matters is that you get to a place and I get to a place where we can see, receive grace for our mess. God will take care of all the other stuff. Hmm. It can be a lens. I'm going to ask you to look at your world through the lens of your mess today. Because if you can see your mess for what it is, if you can recognize a mess when you see one, no, I mean really recognize it. You can see grace and discover God. If you look through your mess, you can see grace and discover God. You say, hold on, Pastor, I don't know if I understand that. Well, here's why I say that. Because, next, because to recognize one is to acknowledge the other. To recognize a mess is to acknowledge that there's something better. Oh. Go back one for me, Pastor. Looking through the... I'm, I'm not moving on until I know we got this. So even if you don't, pretend you do, or we'll be here a while. If you'll try to look through your mess, not at your mess... Use it as a lens. Look through your messy situation. If you do, you can see grace and discover God. Why? Because to recognize one is to acknowledge the other. When you recognize the mess, you are one little step away. I mean, you, you're, you're literally one step away away from discovering God and the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Because we've already established that it was because of this messy world that God introduced Jesus to us in the first place. Yes? Yes. So we can't, so now we're going to move to the next thing. So what do we do with that? Well, in classic God fashion, he uses a Pharisee to teach us this lesson. Well, an ex-Pharisee, somebody we wouldn't expect him to use. Or might I even say somebody whose life is a mess. <laughs> Someone who, quite frankly, should have had, we would have put him in oh, 15 years of seminary before we let him do anything. His name is Paul. He was an apostle. But before he was an apostle, he was a terror. Amen. He made it his personal mission to try to stop the message of Jesus Christ. He wanted to put an end to it. He wanted to stop the whole faith, faith system of Christianity because it was upsetting the religious apple cart, if you will. And you know the story. God got his attention. I won't retell that story. And Paul, who was very educated, Paul, who was very politically connected, Paul, who was very established in the community, he was very culturally woke, if you will. He became a fantastic, fanatical Christ follower church planner, and letter writer. And we're going to look at one of his letters in Romans chapter 3. In those letters, while you're finding it, they make up the majority of our New Testament. You know that already. But he gets into the weeds and the minutia of stuff when he starts talking about this subject of grace. 
I want to just try to clear some of the weeds out. Don't mishear me. I'm not correcting Paul on anything. And I'll confuse you way more than Paul ever will. But I want to just share with you in this subject of a mess and grace and discovering God in this jacked up crazy life that we live. What is Paul trying to teach us in Romans 3? Because he starts to, when he starts unpacking theological truths, if, if you study the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. I got, sometimes I got to go back and read a verse 12 times for this guy. And it's just because he's so much smarter than I am, and I'm not saying that to, for any other reason than it's the truth. But he starts to unpack this idea that our, mass, our messes, our our, our inability to keep the law of God, our sin, our S-I-N, our sin is actually the portal or the lens where we can see forgiveness. Our, our mess, our transgressions, our sin is the lens that will find the presence of God. Here's how he said it. Romans chapter 3, let's look at verse 19. Can we do just a real quick Bible study? Amen? Romans chapter 3 Verse 19, your Bible says this. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Well, there's that. Paul says, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. It was Paul trying to articulate in, in, in Paul fashion, if there's a law that's over you, it's over you because you're under it. Think about that. Don't, don't overthink it. When, when you apply to go to college somewhere and you sign on the dotted line, that when you sign that agreement, the rules of that college now apply to you because you've placed yourself up. Are you with me? You're looking at me like I, I, I'm, I'm like unpacking something you ain't never read in your life. Romans 3, it's in your Bible? It's in mine. Okay. Um, he said, if you're under, well, I, I, I mean, and, and all of you have done this, I'm sure. You have thoroughly read each word of the Apple agreement. Oh, no? Yeah, me neither. Uh, and everything I own is Apple. So it, I, I, no, no telling what I've agreed to. I don't know. I'm expecting to come and get one of my kidneys or something. I don't know. I don't care. Still better than Windows. Not important right now. Chancy, I love you. Here's the thing. He's saying, very simply, something can only be over you if you're under it, and you can only be under something that's over you. It can't be something that's equal. What are we talking about today? Mess. We're talking about messes. And Paul is trying to get us to see through the lens of our mess, grace and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so he begins unpacking this subject of the law. How Interesting is this. He's talking specifically in this verse to those that have failed at maintaining or keeping the law of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I could never keep the law of God. And I'll suggest you can't either. Maybe I'm misjudging you, but I don't think so. So just to eliminate any and all doubt that this is for you and me, please know that the Bible also says that all have, yeah, and fall short. But when we do fail, please get this, please get this. When we do fail, when we do transgress, when we do sin, the majority of the time, I, I, Brother Tom, I feel like right now I'm about to connect with the audience. You feel it? 
Oh, what would I do without Tom? Uh, here's a, every time, here, hypothetically speaking, because I know you've never had to do this ever, but when you've had to call someone out, they will probably say this. They'll probably say, I mean, come on, Jeff. I mean, nobody's perfect. <sighs> this is the worst thing you could possibly ever say when someone's trying to talk to you about your mess. Because if someone is managing the conversation correctly, the next thing they should say is, thank you for saying that. Because that's not a defensive move right here. No, that's, that, that's, that doesn't help you. It doesn't help me. But nobody's perfect. I mean, sure, I cuss sometimes, but nobody's perfect, Jeff. Come on. Jeff, come on, man. I mean, yeah, I snap at my wife sometimes, but nobody's perfect. I don't, FYI. I mean, sure, sure, I, I cheat the book sometimes. Jeff, nobody's perfect. And when you say that, you're acknowledging something that is absolutely life-changing and transformational if you'll let it do that in your life. You probably don't even realize it because I didn't until God started wearing me out over this. When you acknowledge that you're not perfect, you are acknowledging there's a perfect that nobody is. <laughs> you with me, Dwayne? All right. When you acknowledge that, you're acknowledging that there is a perfect that nobody is. And you might be sitting there going, can we just sing again? Because that was way more fun. When you, when you acknowledge that nobody's perfect, I know what you're trying to say. And I know what you've been allowed to say. You're not allowed to say that to me anymore. If you do... This is going to be the follow-up conversation we have. So if you want to say it, go for it. But this is what we're going to say afterwards. So this is your signing the agreement that you are now under. When you say, I'm not perfect, you're acknowledging that there is a perfect somewhere that nobody is. And there is a sense of accountability to something that is over you. Paul was calling it the law. And it's over you and that accountability is beyond you because when you acknowledge you're not perfect, not only are you acknowledging there's a perfect that nobody is, you're acknowledging that there is someone that is perfect. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. And by the way, that somebody that is perfect isn't you and it isn't me. Because, well, if I had a dime for every time I said, but I'm not perfect, which I'll never say again, by the way. Because to do that, you have to acknowledge that we all exist as people that can never attain the perfection because nobody is. And there is a, someone that is perfect. Paul goes on, verse 19, Romans 3. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth, so that every mouth may be silenced 
and the, say it with me, whole world held accountable to God that every mouth may be silent. Whose mouth? The critics. The ones who should be students that are really criti critical in your mess and about their own mess and whose fault it is. Paul's saying there's a standard that we are all aware of. And you might be here and you're like, well, I'm not a Christian. Well, it's okay because God gave you a conscience. I mean, we, we, we hope to introduce you to Jesus. I mean, that's why we're here. And what the interesting part about what Paul's trying to say to all of us right now, because we've established life is messy and we're all messes, is he's saying there's a standard that we're aware of and we all fall short of it in some way. Now, uh, those of us who are Christ followers, we know the standard is the word of God. If you're not a Christ follower, I will never, ever, ever, ever hold you a a to the standard of this book. And if someone does, I'll defend you to the end. Because you, you're not responsible for this. We are. Which is why I apologize for the church 15 minutes ago. When we don't live like Jesus, that's our bad, not yours. Amen, Jeff, that'll preach. But we all have a standard in our mind that is that perfect. Again, Jesus, your conscience, your parents, whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you. And we all fall short of it. So Paul is trying to say in this verse that there's some good news. The point of the tension, the point of the struggle, the point of you feeling guilty, the point of you feeling bad about your mess isn't so you can be perfect. The point of you feeling bad about your mess, it's not that you would feel so bad that one day you'll hate feeling bad. And when you hate feeling bad, you might just perfect yourself. It's not what Paul is saying. It's not the point. The point of the law, the point of the struggle, the point of the guilt, the point of the wrestling match that you have with yourself, the mess is that in you. Oh, the mouse would be silenced before someone else in the middle of a mess. That I would be silenced when considering someone else's mess. When I would stop trying to fix someone else's mess. That I wouldn't talk badly about someone else's mess. And that we would all be held accountable to one and he's God. Because when we do that, I will not have time to open my mouth about your mess Unless you invite me in to help you in the mess. Because I got my own mess I got to contend with. So because I know I'm placed under something. I'm placed under a standard. I have to acknowledge that there is someone that is perfect and it is not me. Because of that, I have to understand that I'm a mess. So when I look at that, when I look at my life, when I look at the world, when I look at my faith, when I look at my family, when I look at my friends, through the lens of that mess, I will either see grace or I'll condemn them. Or I'll condemn myself. Because Paul just took away our argument and hopefully I've explained it a little bit that you can understand it. And that we're all under something. And we all fall short. Which, to me, is humbling. See, one of the things Paul's trying to get us to 
fully grasp here is nobody has any room to talk. <laughs> nobody has any room to talk about someone's mess because we're all a mess and we're all accountable to the source of the law that we all fall short of. Then he says this in verse 20. Hope you're still with me. He said, therefore, because of what we just read, because of all that stuff we talked about, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. In other words, you and I will never be good enough and be so good that God says you're good. So let's just settle that right now. I ain't good, you ain't good. Trotwood graduate, 1980, glad you're here. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather... I love this. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But let me paraphrase. We become aware of our mess, which is usually a sin. <laughs> See, maybe that's why you didn't like going to church. Maybe you didn't like preaching. Maybe that's why you wanted to be held accountable until somebody held you accountable. Let me go over here. Because what usually happens is I get offended because my mess is getting revealed. Right? I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll sit in a service and it's like, preach it, Dwayne. Stop preaching it, Dwayne. We've all felt it. We've all felt it. Because instead of looking at our mess and having it revealed and then seeing through it to the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can't see past that mess. And apparently God's not big enough in our mind to clean that up. Hmm. But maybe that's why you didn't like hearing the good news of Jesus. Maybe that's why once you got hurt in church, you were just done. And once somebody really tried to hold you accountable, all of a sudden they're legalistic. Amen, Jeff. Can I tell you I get it? Because no one likes to be reminded of the fact that they don't measure up. So we don't use that as a weapon, but there's no way to escape it. There's no way to escape it. So when I read the Bible, when I hear teaching, when I hear preaching, when a friend has to come to me, listen, I'm reminded of where I need to tighten things up. The only way you can do that is look through the mess. Because otherwise, you feel you're attacked in your mess. And I've already acknowledged that may have been the case. But that's not what Jesus does. That's the difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt's not a motivator. Guilt won't draw you to Jesus necessarily. Conviction, however, will. And I'm reminded of the fact that, I, listen, I just may not love my neighbor consistently. I just might not. So you know what? I can, I can look at that and I can tell you why I don't. But... but Jesus didn't put a clause in that that said love. Uh, yeah. So I'm not here to write clauses into the scripture. When I read the New Testament, I'm reminded that I get rubbed the wrong way by people that don't agree with me. When people don't agree with me culturally, it bugs me. When people don't agree with me politically, although I'm not a very political person, it bugs me. When people don't agree with me religiously, I get bothered by it. Now, I can look at that, and I can name every reason why that does, or I can be reminded that maybe I don't forgive quick enough. Maybe I can see that, and I'm reminded that, 
you know, it's, it's not what I should be to the people that are the most important to me. Is I'm, I shouldn't be their critic. Rather, I should be their student. And I'm reminded of this because the Scripture is a mirror. The Scripture should be our reminder. You're like, well, I don't, I don't really want to be reminded of my mess. Can I help you with something? One of the greatest ways you know that you're growing in your faith with Jesus Christ is the distance between you and your mess. So many times in the church, people that stand on platforms like this and in pews like that, they forget where they came from. And they forget that the pit was the same pit that Jesus had to come down. The writer of the psalm said that he came down and, man, I was in the miry clay. I was stuck he didn't lower a rope. He didn't send some people. He came himself. He got me. He took me out, put my feet on a solid rock, and put a new song in my mouth. That's what he'll do for you. And that's what we should do for others. Because a mess is a mess is a mess is a mess. So here's a question for you, and this will be my question that I really hope you'll, well, I just hope you'll consider it. What does the standard that you're under remind you of that you're not? What does the standard you're under remind you of that you're not? If you're a Christian, I expect it to be this. So what does the standard that you're under, you're like, well, I'm not placing myself under that. Well, then, again, i got to be honest with you. This might be the last time I ever get to preach. And if it is, you need to know, then you're not saved. And you need to, Jesus Christ needs to be the Savior of your Lord in life. And you need to put yourself under him. Amen. And I want to help you with that. I'm not judging you. I'm not being condescending. I'm not wagging my finger at you. I'm trying to say to you, it's so important that you understand this. What does a standard you've placed yourself under remind you of that you're not? You're like, well, I'm not a Christian, so woo, got away with one. Okay, let's use your conscience. Let me just ask it this way. You ever disappointed yourself? So what does the standard you've placed yourself under remind you of that you're not? Here's what I feel confident about saying. Whatever the standard reminds you of that you're not, it's probably something pretty consistent. I mean, it, it, I, I, I'm guessing, and, and I could be wrong, and I, you, don't, you don't have to tell me, I, I'm probably wrong. But when I ask you that question, what is the standard that you're under, what does it remind you of that you're not, it probably wasn't all of a sudden you're like, oh, I never ever thought of that, probably wasn't that. No, it was probably your anger, it was probably your pessimistic attitude, it could have been a sin, it could have been your addiction, it could have been so many things. But I guarantee you, you weren't surprised by it. Because see, God's trying to get us to a place where we can go to bigger and better things in our walk with him and in, in, in his kingdom for all of eternity. He's wanting us to move that direction, but we can't get past this one little thing. So what is it that you've placed yourself under that is reminding you of what you're not? This is important. Maybe it's that, it's just that attitude, man. You just can't seem to get pointed in the right direction. Maybe it's the way you treat your kids. Maybe it's the way you treat your spouse. Maybe it's the way you treat yourself. 
Maybe the thing you, you think about when it's super early in the morning and the house is still dark and you're staring at that spot on the ceiling that you really wished your husband would fix. And immediately now you're starting to think about that. Oh, not the spot. No, the spot was the distraction. Now you're going to think about the things and your mind's going to, it's just taking over in your life. And maybe it's the lie you've been telling your boss. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, you know why God gave the law to remind us of our mess. So all that happened right now was you just got reminded. And then a few verses later, and, and, and I'm getting ready to round third and we're going to wrap this up. But a few verses later, Paul gives us kind of his bottom line. I, it's, I, when I read this, especially when I slow it down and read it like I'm explaining it to you right now, it's almost to me like Paul just goes, okay, look, 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 look. Okay, I know I said some, some crazy thing. I did this law thing and I did, did this righteousness thing. And I, but here, here, here. He's like, let me see. I want to say this so that everybody knows I'm talking to everybody. So a couple of verses later, he says something that I think you know it. See, look at this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, here, here's, here's, I've been in church, I was five years old, so I know, I know a couple things. I know that I'd say 85% of you have heard this verse. Fair? I'd say 75% of you memorized it at some point. Probably 80% of you knew it, had no idea where it was found, and certainly didn't know the context in which it was written. I'm not judging you. I'm not being a punk about it. But that's the problem with snatching a verse out of context. Is what this is telling us is the, it's, he's summarizing what he just talked about, about the law, about our mess, about being able to see grace through it, that nothing we do will make us righteous, and nothing we do will make us unrighteous. We're just flat unrighteous people. We're a mess. And I have to be silent when I see someone else's mess because it's the ultimate hypocrisy to me. He said, for all, that's you, it's me, it's saved, it's lost, it's religious, irreligious. For all have sinned. He said, well, what does sin mean? Paul, Paul, I don't, you know what? I don't understand that, so I don't own it because I don't understand it. He's like, well, let me say it another way. And fall short of the glory of God because that's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is falling short of God's standard. So therefore, you've done it, I've done it, all God's children done it. But watch this. Not only have you fallen short of your own standard, and we all have, this is so important, I've, I mentioned it earlier, we disappoint ourselves, we have a thought, we beat ourselves up about a thought, we do something, we say something, we think something, something counterproductive, it don't even have to be a sin, just something that wasn't productive in a conversation, you got heated just a little too quickly, you, you got a little angry, you turned a corner too sharp, it's just not profitable to the degree that it's counterproductive, even though you told yourself you weren't going to do it again. There it is. You think something that puts you in a funk, even though everything around you is working, everything around you looks great, you're blessed, you're walking in God's blessing, but you're in a funk because of something you thought. You've placed yourself up under that thought, 
not under the forgiveness, righteousness, grace, and gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so not only do we fall short of our own standards, we fall short of our school standard. We fall short of our workplace standards. We call, fall short of our spouse's standards. But everyone should be silenced when it comes to our life because we all have fallen short of God's standard. And this is huge because I think it has great weight attached to it. And I think we got to consider it as I close. The subtle message he's trying to give us, I think, is this, and I'll end here. Every mess you see in someone else, oh, please get this. God, help me say this correctly, Lord Jesus. Every mess you see in someone else is nothing but a reference point back to you. Every mess you see in someone else is a reference point that goes back to you, the reference point and the reason you see someone else's mess is because their mess points back to the mess you fixed. Or maybe the mess you covered over. Maybe the mess you swept under the rug. Let me say it like this. I think for the most of us, we know what a marriage should look like because at one time ours didn't. How do, you know, how do you know if you're winning if you never lose? So we can pretend we don't have mess, but if we use that mess as a lens to see the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ, we can look at someone's mess, whatever you want it to be. I'll just use the marriage thing because I, I, I'm, I'm a proponent of marriage. So if I look at someone's marriage, I'm like, man, that's a mess. I can say that because it's a reference point that comes back to me for when my marriage was a mess. That's why I feel it like I do. That's why it comes from a pure place that you do it and a pure place that I do it where it's like, hey, listen, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. It's impossible. It's impossible. That's why we've kind of adopted the mindset that the more mess we go through, the more usable we are to God. And that's not fair. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to the people who are trying to live right, quite honestly. It's a reference point that comes back to you. You know what kind of language and verbiage a Christian should use because yours was coarse and vulgar and God delivered you from it. That's the only way you can know. You place yourself under God's standard. Okay, well, they're not there yet. So dial it back a little bit. You know how you should respond to someone that's wronged you as a Christ follower. You know how you know that? Because you didn't. Because their mess points back. It's a reference point. Back to your mess. Back to my mess. That's why we should be silent. I hope you're hearing me. Paul's takeaway, which I'll claim is my takeaway, and this is where I'll end. Awareness of our mess. The reality my junk should awaken us to something and someone greater to which we're all accountable. That's why he came. Because you're a mess. Me too.
God, thank you for your word. Thank you. God, I thank you for the awareness of my failures. God, I'm fully aware that sometimes when I recognize a mess and I see my failure, it first causes me to want to try harder. And you've already taught me as I've tried to teach these folks that are hungry for your word that i got to stop trying and learn to train. So in light of that reality, Lord Jesus... When, a, when I see a mess in my life, God, I pray it doesn't just cause me to bear down and try harder. Oh, God, may it, may it help me look through the portal of my mess to the reason you came. May it help me love others and minister to them in their mess, knowing full well that I can see their mess because it's a reference point back to my mess. Oh, listen, God, you didn't give us a law to make us try harder. You gave us a law to place ourselves under it so that we would know when we fell short. I don't know where this finds you today. Friends, I really don't. I, I hope you know, although as I, I tried to use a little levity in it, I hope you know that I, I wasn't just trying to beat you up with your mess. I, nobody talked to me secretly about your mess. I didn't talk to you. I talked to me that hopefully we can do some good in our mess. So I don't know where this finds you. But if in this, God has really spoke to you regarding how you're viewing your mess. And you would say, Jeff, I need to change my perspective. I need to use it as a lens to look through it to the other side so that God can lead me into the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. That's all. God bless you, dear. And you, God bless you, sir. Thank you. And you, ma'am, in the middle right there. God bless you, young man. I'm proud of you. That took courage to courage. Thank you for that boldness. Anyone else? I, I mean, again, man, we, we could talk about our messes all day long, but I, I actually, God already knows, so let's just, let's just, let's just get, get through it. Who else? Anybody? God bless you, young man. I'm proud of you. Strong move right there. Proud of you. Just, just, just agree with me, if you would, Father. We see our mess. God, we're, we're so sorry that we've let it define us. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, where we've been critical of others' mess. God, I've been critical of my own mess. I want to be a student of the mess. God, we're sorry. We're sorry that we were so counterproductive or nonproductive. And we were so stagnant because, honestly, we were wallowing in our mess. But God, I, I, I pray for my friends that raise their hands specifically right now because you placed a burden of conviction on their life because I didn't talk them into any guilt. So you've convicted them that there's more on the other side of this mess than they could ever imagine. And so God, we trust you with the mess. 
We put you back in the rightful position in my heart of Lord of our life. So, Lord, we're going to look through the mess. I see the glorious forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Oh, because God, we know we're not perfect, but we are acknowledging that one is, and his name is Jesus. You might be here, and your relationship with Jesus is not what it should be. You say, Jeff, I ain't putting on front. I don't have one. Can I tell you, I'd rather spend all day with you than a fake person. If you're here and you're like, Jeff, I know my relationship with Jesus is fractured right now. Maybe you never had one. Maybe it's limping. Can I tell you right now, you are where you are for a reason and a purpose. Jesus is waiting on you. He's saying, come. If that's you, today is the beginning of your vibrant walk with Jesus Christ. If that's you, just raise your hand. We're just going to pray. I ain't coming down. God bless you, dear. I'm not going to send you any literature in the mail. I ain't coming to your house unless you invite me. But I am going to pray for you. Say, Jeff, I need Jesus. I need him desperately. I can't do this on my own. Will you pray with me? Who else? Father, we thank you for your son. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you still move, that you still gently draw us to God. We ask you to forgive us of our sins. We relinquish any control we thought we had on our life. And we just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes. Take me, mold me, mend me, break me, use me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you give God a shout of praise in here today, church? Thank you so much. So glad you're here. Wednesday night, 7 p.m., Facebook Live, deep in. Love you guys. Thanks.